Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. My name is Tara Wolf, and I am the Director of Community Engagement here. Welcome all of you who are worshiping with us online. We're glad that you're here. Let us know that you're here. Um, today we are in our third week of Advent. Uh, this is our last Advent midweek service because they're, well, next Wednesday's Christmas day. That's why. <laughs> uh, so no more Advent after, after the Sunday. Um, but we are, we've been in this theme of light. And so today our theme is healing light, as you can see at the top of your worship folders. And we are also going to be talking about healing light in our Bible study portion time as well. Um, I'd like to invite you to stand as you are able and greet one another in the name of the Lord. gather together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We will sing of your steadfast love, O God, forever. Our souls magnify the Lord. With our mouths we proclaim God's faithfulness to all generations. Our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. We declare that your steadfast love is established forever. His mercy is to those who fear him from generation to generation. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away. You are our God and the rock of our salvation. Lord God, we praise you for sending light into this world. But we confess that we live as though the light has never defeated the darkness. Hear now our prayer of confession. When our spirits despair and we deny our blessedness, forgive us, O God. When we ignore the mighty things you have done, forgive us, God. When we doubt your mercy, forgive us, O God. When we are proud in the thoughts of our hearts, forgive us, O God. When our power rests on the oppression of others, forgive us, O God. When our wealth causes others to go hungry, Forgive us, O God. Help us, your servants, according to the promises you have made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the God of peace cleanse you through and through. The promise is that our whole being, spirit, soul, and body, will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice, then, and give thanks as you receive the forgiveness of all your sins and healing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we await your coming. We wait filled with hope, 
knowing your light will shine in the darkness. We wait, anticipating your peace, believing that one day it will fill our world. We wait, embracing your love. May we reach out to share it with our neighbors. We wait with joy, filling us in expectation of your birth. Lord, we wait. Come soon and fill us with your life. Amen. You may be seated. All righty. So today, as I said, we're in, the, we're in healing light. Um, we'll be talking about a couple of different passages, and I have some paddles out there. I'm going to give you the passages up front, so if you want to find them in your Bibles, you may at this time. Uh, it is, we're going to be in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, Isaiah 60, verse 1, Matthew 2, 1 through 6, and Matthew 4, 12 through 17. I'll be putting that up there again. Our main passages are going to be Isaiah 9 and Matthew 4, with the other two kind of in between. Um, so when we get to those passages, I'll have our readers, I'll have our readers read. (laughs) All right. As I said, we are in the third week. So our candle this week was the candle of joy, also reflected in our prayer. And so we have our, our Bible project video on joy. That is the second handout that was over there. If you want to read the transcript. Uh, you can you can follow along. I put the picture on the front, even though we don't get to see it all come together until until the end. And uh, again, I, I give you the transcript because we know that this guy talks a little fast and he kind of drops down at the end. But they're really great videos, and we're going to learn a little bit more about the biblical understanding of joy. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later, biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, When people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. 
After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. What I'd like you to do is to talk about these two questions. I'm going to give you three whole minutes today. Uh, it's one more minute than I've been giving you. So, <laughs> uh, so did you learn something new and thoughts slash reactions to the idea of joy? And if you need a transcript, you can pick one up if you want to reread some of the things. So, All right. Larry looks ready to come around. <laughs> yes, he's, he's at his starting gate. Um, if you are online with us on Facebook, I'm going to actually bring the feed up here. So if you are online and you want to share any of your thoughts, please, please do. Um, Hey, John, it's good to, John McDermott is online. So hi, John, nice to see you. Uh, so yeah, you can share any thoughts that you have as well. I'd love to hear from some of your tables and I didn't even think of, we have joy sitting right in front of us. (laughs) Yes. Until your table said that. Yes. We, we have joy personified right, right here. So can someone at your table share? What, what did you think Larry would love to come to you? It doesn't have to be your thought. You can paraphrase somebody else's thought as well. Carol. Well, we discussed the fact that um, lots of times you think of joy in just an earthly has brought out the fact that there's a whole new way to enjoy. Uh, especially like, though, uh, the one psalm that says a good bottle of wine is God's <laughs> uh, That takes care of a whole lot of joy. Takes care us. of all the joy, yes. <laughs> but also the fact that uh, look at suffering and the joy that we Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Thank you. Wonderful. Erica? Talks about how it's easy to get lost in the suffering, lost in the bad things going on in your life. Um, choice mm-hmm. um, that we make. And it's to look at that, not the earthly suffering, but right. the joy that. Yeah, the choice is a is a big deal, right? And I think probably most of us in this room have heard before that happiness and joy are not synonymous, right? So that's not necessarily a new concept for us, but the fact that it is a choice, that is something that we have an opportunity to embrace or not embrace um, and to live with that focus or not live with that focus, right? Uh, that That is a little bit of a reframing, um, similar to our discussion on shalom last week, right, on peace that it's a whole reframing of how we, how we take on that word and how we live into that word. Yeah. Anyone from the, our middle table here? Okay. If there's not Bob, Bob, <laughs> Bob seems to be nominated. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess a couple of things. Uh, one in the text we were looking at, and it says that the, uh, the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles but by their future uh, destiny, kind of keeping your eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. 
But on a more personal note, I think joy is also is when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you realize is you slept six full hours. Say, <laughs> Lord, thank you very much. I am so yes. joyful. <laughs> yes. Six full hours. Yes. Yeah. I I love that quote, too. I feel like that is the... That is the essence of this video. It's on, uh, there's no page numbers, but close to the end. Um, This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. Some might say destination (laughs) because it matters, right? Yeah, it matters, right? This table, anything? I don't want to skip over you. I know we had our own little conversation about Yes, I know, Sue. <laughs> they want to hear you. <laughs> uh, from the King James, it's the second half of uh, uh, verse 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Yeah. I think of that often. Yeah. Yeah, that joy is coming. Yeah. Um, John says, uh, remember the destiny." Destination, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So that's John's uh, thought as well. Thank you. All right. So with joy in mind, and actually with with peace and hope in mind, uh, we are at our point of healing light, and we're going to see certainly peace and also joy in our scripture passages today. We're going to start in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. has paddled Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. This table, this, this, yes, this table. Somebody at this table will read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. I don't know if they've determined who that will be yet, but someone will. Linda Anders will. <laughs> All right, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. <clears throat> the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Great. Thank you. All right, before we dive in, I have, uh, I've got it divided up a little bit how I, I'm going to walk through it. But what did we hear? What did you hear just now? Um, what kind of stands out to you before we, we jump right in? Well-known passage, right? You'll hear it again on Christmas Eve. It's actually kind of nice that we, I'm, I'm moving a little slower today through this passage. Um, just so you know, the last two weeks, we're going to take this a little bit slower as we prepare for Christmas Eve. So what do you hear? Or see. They were in the dark and they saw the light. They were in the dark and they saw the light. Just a beautiful, beautiful promise. Mm. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful promise, right? Open your eyes, look, and listen. Absolutely. Wonderful counselor. What else? Linda? I think it's amazing how Isaiah says a son is given. Mm. And that, what, four or five hundred Christ was born, and then that. He is calling him God's son mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Great. Anything else that jumps out? Carol? 
So the passages, you know, we have multiplied the nations and have increased the joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the joy of the harvest. Mm-hmm. And so everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in everyday life. I like that. Absolutely. No like. Yeah. He's trying to think of that. How in the world? What was he doing? Yeah. Love it. And then to picture a light. Well, like you look up there, it's all black there and it's dark. Right. And all of a sudden, here comes this light. What is that? Yeah. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. Everything in dark. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this, obviously, for the last couple of weeks because of um, the darkness. But have you ever been in a room or somewhere where, like, it's so dark you can't even you can't even see your hand in front of your face, right? Um, and imagine being in that darkness, right, um, all the time, right? And then all of a sudden, there's this light. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. It can be surprising. Yeah. 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 What is, yes, I agree. When you realize it's Jesus, what a shocking feeling. Yeah. Say it one more time. Yeah. Yeah. All the prophecies coming true. Yeah. And we're going to see that in Matthew, too. Yeah. able to be there. That must have really been something. I agree. <laughs> I imagine. I, I, um, I always wonder what it was like for the angels, right, who have been there for forever long. God has had angels, right, and and to be able to see all this unfold. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. All right. So we're going to jump in. Here's how I'm going to take the verses. Um, nine. One through two, three, four through five, six, and seven. <laughs> um, that's ha- going to be how we kind of go over this. Uh, so we join Isaiah in chapter nine, which is a culmination of everything he's been speaking about since Isaiah seven one. So this starts in seven one, and it builds to this culmination. So instead of a king, an earthly king, Ahaz, plunging his people into worse conditions and circumstances. So that's what's happening. This is what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah talks about a king who, even though this king is going to be a child, will bring an end to wars and establish an everlasting kingdom based on righteousness and justice, not on human emotions or whims, right? So if we take this in context, Isaiah has been talking about the destruction that the king is leading the people into and how it's just going to get worse and worse and how He's not taking any godly advice. Um, He's making poor choices. So we get to chapter 9 after a section. So like 7 to 1 gets to 9, but then there's 8 in 8.11. We see this is God's purpose. We see that Ahaz had refused the instructions and testimonies of God, and we aren't to look to our own resources or ideas for guidance, right? Even though that's where the people were, In that darkness, Isaiah tells them that God is going to break into this darkness and shine a light of delivering power. Remember, they are a people in darkness, not just spiritually at the moment, but they are in exile. They are waiting for God to rescue them again. So this delivering power is going to come. God's going to bring this into that situation. So if we look, just look with me really quickly. I'm just going to read the last part of eight. So we kind of get um, an idea here. So when someone tells you to consult, consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom 
and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Then we get to chapter nine, right? And remember, no chapters when these are written. So for us, it's a new chapter. Isaiah says, nevertheless, so there's all of that, but nevertheless, and this is the pivot point. It's kind of like Paul's therefore, right? So we talked about that with Paul, like da, 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 da. therefore, all this, therefore, this is going to happen. Same thing with Isaiah. Da, 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 da. Nevertheless, this is what's going to happen. So it's our pivot point. Verse two, um, the people walking in dark, well, verse one, I'll go back. Sorry. There will be no gloom for those who are in distress in the past. He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. So this light is not by their own work or power, right? This light is is coming on them. It's dawning on them. Go to, who has uh, Isaiah 60 verse 1? We're going to cross-reference this with Isaiah 60 verse 1. Elizabeth is over here. So jump ahead in Isaiah. We're going to see where this kind of comes up again. Verse 1, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Great. So this is not by their own power, right? Arise, shine, the light or the glory of the Lord has risen, some say has dawned, upon you. That's not a light that you bring unto yourself, right? So we see that just like in 60 verse 1, it's the same kind of light that we're talking about here. So it's this suddenness that of light that has appeared, kind of like what Jan was saying, when you're in the dark and then a light comes on suddenly. Have, do you guys ever, has anyone ever had like the, hey, give me the, give me the benefit of the doubt. My eyes are closed. Tell me the light's coming on rule, <laughs> right? I'm turning on the light, you know, for your kids or somebody in your, in your house. And you say, turn on the light because if you're in dark and then you turn on the light, what do you naturally do? Yeah. You know, um, you blink, you kind of, you know, cover your face. It's, it's this dawning. It's this really big, surprising light. So you find yourself blinking and adjusting to that light. And so we see that God is doing the same thing. It's coming upon them. It's kind of a surprise and it's, and it's not something that they have brought on themselves. We see that God will let nothing stand between himself and his people in this verse between their sin and rebellion, those are not great enough to keep him away and to keep him from coming in the flesh. Instead, we have a God that comes and does something that is counterintuitive, right? That is unlike what other kings would do, right? This is something that's different. He does something different and he does it because there's not going to be anything that keeps him from his people, same thing with us. There's nothing that keeps us apart from God, that nothing that he will not do to bring us back to him, right? And that's what we see what Jesus has done. Before we go on to verse 3, any thoughts? Okay, verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. God's coming through his Messiah, and so joy sweeps through all the people, right? The Messiah is coming. Um, There's going to be an abundance, abundant joy, because instead of a dwindling nation, which is happening, and what what Isaiah talks about in chapter 7, the nation's going to grow. We see that in chapter 49, 19 through 23. I'm just going to give them to you instead of going to all of them, right? So in, in, uh, there's a dwindling nation in chapter 7, 20 through 23, but we find out later that the nation's going to grow. Instead of a small harvest, it's going to be abundant. That's in chapter 35. We see Isaiah saying, you're going to have an abundant harvest. Instead of being the spoils themselves, chapter 8, verse 1, they are the spoils They will soon divide the spoil. So you see what's happening because the Messiah is coming because God is changing their narrative because God is changing their lives. What they were is going to change to something that they will be. And it's going to be better than where they are now. 
because God is going to be the one who steps into that. These are, these are real fears for the people, right? They, these are real fears. Sometimes I think we are understanding of Christianity and our experience. Um, sometimes we miss some of this fear that the Israelites would have had at that time. All right. So it's a real fear. And Isaiah tells them instead of fearing that there's joy in the Lord and it is his joy, not something they can just conjure up. Right. So almost like happiness versus joy, right? Happiness is something that we can kind of conjure up or someone can impose upon us, right? You're, I'm going to give you your favorite coffee or whatever. And you're happy different than the joy that comes from the Lord. Right. So we get to why they're rejoicing in verse four. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So why are they happy? Because they're freed, right? So this, what Isaiah is doing is he's prophesying what's going to happen in the people coming back and God bringing them back and what's going to happen in a big sense of the word, right? In the eschatological sense of the word. So what's happening with Jesus coming, he's talking about what's going to happen to the Israelites. Your, your fortune is going to change. Things are going to turn around, but also there's going to be a Messiah. So there's something bigger happening here. Midian, who's, we have an echo here, right? We have an echo from Gideon. Gideon defeated the Midianites, right? So we have this echo here and recall of, of, the, of Isaiah saying, hey, remember just as Gideon defeated Midian? That's kind of funny, a little rhyming there. Um, we have seen that back then. That's going to happen here. And who, di- who defeated the Midianites? Gideon didn't. God did, right? God did, and he did with a smaller number of people so that Gideon wouldn't be confused to say, this is on my own strength, right? And so, so Isaiah is recalling this for them and, and giving them a reference point of what, how this is going to happen. So it's looking, they've lost their ability to believe that God is going to deliver them. So Isaiah is saying, look back at how God delivered uh, you by his own strength. The yoke that has been burdening them is lifted. So the Assyrian emperors, this is a little fun fact, they loved to tell of the heavy yokes that they placed on captive, captive peoples. So this would resonate with those in captivity because they were literally yoked. They'd literally, ha- you know, like you yoke an oxen, it would literally be yoked. And the Assyrian emperors loved to say how heavy their yokes were and how they burdened the people that they had in their in captivity. And so... Isaiah is saying, hey, this is going to be lifted off of you. And he's pointing to a day when there's somebody who is mightier and greater that's going to smash it to pieces. What does Jesus tell us about his yoke? Light. His yoke is light. His burden is easy and his yoke is light, right? And, and the yoke that Jesus puts on us is kindness and gentleness and mercy, and grace, and love, and peace, and joy, right? That's the yoke that Jesus puts on us, different than the yoke that these people would have had upon them. What does that mean for us? What is our yoke of sin, right? The devil loves to put that yoke on us, right? Loves to say, let me shame you. Let me make you feel guilty. Let me make you feel unworthy. Let me tell you that you're not God doesn't want you, right? God doesn't want you in this state. You have to be perfect before you come to God or God's never going to want you, right? Instead, instead, we look to this and we say, oh, there's going to be a mighty warrior, somebody who's going to break this yoke and change my fate, and that's going to be Jesus. And so we see that even back here. So that every warrior's boot in battle, what's going to happen? Wars are going to cease, right? Wars have not ceased. We're talking about at the end now, at the end of all time, when Jesus comes back and wars will cease, um, instead of being a ruler who comes in and brings more destruction, just like every king has ever done, right? 
some a lot on purpose, some a little on purpose, right? Every king, when they would come in and they would take a people captive, they would make their lives worse, not better. And instead, we're going to see that there's going to be a king who at the end of everything, wars are going to cease and it's going to bring about um, a, a, a peaceful kingdom, right? A, a, a kingdom of joy. Thoughts on this, these two verses? Do we see how this also helps us with our yoke? Let not our heart, your hearts be troubled. Yeah. Yeah. Karin? So this is serious thinking. Mm-hmm. And for some, they can't get there. Mm-hmm. Because the war, life is hard. Yeah. They're hungry and they're wandering. Mm-hmm. Isaiah promises it just doesn't happen. Right. And even in today's society, which is very instantaneous, give me this. Yeah. This is where I think part of um, the issue is for Christians or beginning. How can this is? Not happening. Mm-hmm. My and my mm-hmm. and then all the mm-hmm. that can yeah. So to have the big picture, really got to have a mm-hmm. and. And even if it's not really hard for everyone, at times it's really hard, right? Even if you come back from that really hard. Um, and I think that's where we go back to our, our, our words of hope and peace, right? That, um, that hope is something that is not based on what we have done, but what Jesus has done. And that when we hope, it's not, it's not on our own account, right? We don't hope to hope that I get, you know, a million dollars is not based on anything in reality. Um, and, and even for the Christian, right. It, that even for seasoned Christians, that can be hard as well. And I go back to the peace idea of Shalom, because there is something that we can do as Christians, right. So that when we engage Shalom and peace, that doesn't mean just being a peaceful people, but remember it means being actively trying to restore people actively trying to, um, bring about reconciliation. And I think, I think we, we can all do that even better than maybe we are, right? Um, not that it's going to change anyone's minds necessarily like that, but if we are a peaceful people, if we are, if we are people of shalom and, and, and mirror that, um, you know, maybe people can see it in the flesh a little bit more. Maybe. Okay, so how is God going to do this? Um, Verse 6, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. God's going to do this by bringing a baby (laughs) into this world um, who's the second person of of the Godhead, right? Jesus Christ. So God clearly has said over and over up until now that God is powerful enough to destroy his enemies with no problem. And yet we see here that God is strong enough to overcome his enemies by becoming vulnerable, transparent, and humble in the form of a baby. He can destroy people and destroy nations, no problem, right? This is not, this is not a um, question of his might. But how does he show that he is mighty? By flipping it around. His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, right? It is not the first that gets there. It's the last that's going to be first. It's not the righteous who need someone to come and save them. It's the unrighteous who needs someone to come and save them. And so we see that God is going to do this in a different way. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
So wonderful counselor in the Bible, um, but very much throughout Isaiah, human wisdom is regarded as folly. We also see that in Proverbs a lot, right? Um, And counselors typically lacked spiritual wisdom. We see that especially in Isaiah. Contrast this with wonderful counselor. As one author I um, found wrote, he said something to the effect of, one who knows that true wisdom demonstrates that weakness is strength and surrender is victory and death is life, right? We see that Jesus was weak. He came as a baby, and that is a great strength. That when he surrendered his life, there was victory for us. And when he died, he was, he was raised, and so that there is life. Mighty God, um, a God who is big enough to envelop, to take on sin and evil, right? He's mighty enough to take that and to take all of it. Everlasting father, um, God's fatherhood is one of sacrifice, continuous sacrifice. Prince of peace, prince of shalom, right? I've already talked about this a lot. We learned about this last week, right? Um, Of a restoration kingdom. Of the greatness and of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So here we see that Isaiah has the eschatological uh, figure in mind. Not another human king, but a king which will be the end of all kings. There will be no more kings after Jesus, right? There's going to be one final king who... Uh, rules them all. All right. So all that in mind, let's jump over to Matthew two, one through six, who has that. And let's see what our echo and recall is. You, we, I miss, I'm positive. You will recognize this as we get to it. <laughs> now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the King, behold, wise men from the East came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, and so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right. So we've heard this before, right? We know this. Um, We know that this comes from the prophet Micah, um, that Micah has said that Bethlehem, the least among um, people or of of the nation, that's where the ruler is going to come. That's where the, the ruler is going to come from. All right, so we see that echo and recall. And then we get to Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Who has Matthew 4, 12 through 17? Excellent. Erica, thank you. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun, Lund, and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has come. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Great. Thank you. So right before this, what happens? John baptizes Jesus, right? Uh, John baptizes Jesus. He's made the way for Jesus to come. And then Jesus immediately, as soon as he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, right? Symbolic here, 40 days, where he's tested by the devil. He comes back. And at some point after coming back, he finds out that John has been arrested. So he makes his final move to prepare for his ministry, his active ministry. And where does he go? Where does he go? Galilee. Galilee. He goes to Galilee, right? So he goes to Galilee because that's what the prophet 
had said was going to happen. Galilee of the nations is what it was sometimes called. So Gal or Galilee of the Gentiles. So we know that the prophets were talking about how this Messiah is not only going to come for the Jewish people, he's coming for the Jewish people, but enlarging that nation. How does that happen? You have to, you have to open it up, right? To enlarge that nation. God's saying, I'm going to open this up. And, and guess what? Guess where Jesus starts his ministry in Galilee, where more people are going to be able to learn about God through him. So we see that this light has dawned. When we look back, the people returned from exile. Matthew sees this as a short-term fulfillment in the Old Testament, where they were brought back from exile. But since no king ever fulfilled that prophecy that there's going to be a king on the throne of Isaiah, Matthew picks this up as a fulfillment of that prophecy, right? We see that Matthew picks this up. We see it in chapter two when he, when he's talking about um, how he's giving the prophecy from Micah. And then we see that in chapter four, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, go back to our Isaiah passage, right? There's a light dawning in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is Galilee. So we see how Matthew can see all this coming together and how this light is dawning, not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. That's, that's us, right? <laughs> that would be us. Um, we're in that, uh, we're now included in that um, as well. So do you see the echo in the recall? We see Matthew taking that from Isaiah and bringing it forward. And, and now that Jesus is in Galilee, he like hits the ground running, right? He gets, he's, he starts right away. Right after that, Jesus calls his first disciples, right? He's got a plan. <laughs> he calls his first disciples. He gets them involved and then they start to go. They start to go. And, and Jesus is that light that is dawning, that is spreading over those people. And so we get to see that too. Yes, it's about hit the light coming in the manger, but it's also the light that is starting to, to make an impact on the people there. Three points uh, for you today. Jesus is a light that shines in the darkness of the world, of our lives, and for all people. Jesus is that light. God's wisdom is always greater than ours, even when we can't see the plan. I'm guessing that most of the people in this room have not always known the plans of the Lord, (laughs) right? Uh, But wished maybe at some point you had, right? If you haven't, I'd love to hear how you have overcome that (laughs) because I have not. Um, and, And so God's wisdom is always greater than ours, even when we can't see the plan. Jesus is the healing light or the shalom light, right? The peaceful light, the the, um, bringing together light. So let his light shine into your dark spaces to heal you. Isaiah is a healing passage, right? It's a healing passage. There's going to be light. There's going to be end of wars. There's going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, who's going to make an impact and going to change the world. And it does for us as well. All right. Any last thoughts before we continue with with the rest of the service, our closing part of our service? Do we all know more about shalom or hope or joy? Okay, good. (laughs) Because those are three really big uh, parts, right, of our Christmas celebrations. All right. Very uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you. All right. We go back. We're done with our study of the word. We go back in. Um, if you brought an offering, there is a place to put that one on your way out. I remembered it all today. The, the, the plate is out. It's over there. Third week. No problem. Got it. Um, 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, during your earthly ministry, you brought healing and life to people who daily sought your help and mercy. We pray that you will bring hope and healing to others today as well, and that you would work through us to serve those who are suffering and in need. Have mercy on us, Lord, and hear our prayer. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand for our commission and benediction and final song as you are able. A new day is dawning. Despite what we see and hear in the world around us, the sunrise is coming. When it comes, it will break through the darkness of our world, darkness caused by violence and death and hunger and despair. And all those who sit huddled in the shadows will be able to rise and walk with confidence in the light. So go from here with courage and hope. As you go, May the grace of Bethlehem's matchless child, Jesus, the love of the God who never ceases to amaze, and the fellowship of the Spirit who never wearies, be with and abide with you this day and forevermore. Amen. On Jordan's bank, the Baptists cry, announces that the Lord is nigh. Awake and hearken, for he brings glad tidings of the King of kings. Then cleanse me every life from sin, make straight the way for God within, and let us all our hearts prepare for Christ to come and enter there. We hail thee as our Savior, Lord, our refuge and our great reward, without thy we waste away like flowers that wither and decay. Lay on the sick thy healing hand and make the fallen strong to stand. Show us the glory of thy face till beauty springs in every place. All praise, eternal Son, to Thee, whose advent sets Thy people free, whom with the Father we adore, and Holy Spirit evermore. Go in peace, that all may know the love of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.